welcome to the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. I'm your host, Larry Witzel. Seventh-day Adventist churches grow differently, and our goal with this podcast is to offer practical training for effective evangelism in the Adventist ministry context. If you've been enjoying the Propel podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to podcast at propelconference.org. If there's something in particular you'd like to hear more of at a future Propel conference, or if there's anything else you'd like to tell us, uh, you can email us at podcast at propelconference.org. Also, we'd love it if you took a moment to leave a review for the podcast on whatever platform you're using that will really help us reach more people with inspiration and training to grow your church. Okay, so it's a little awkward to introduce the speaker for this episode because, well, it's me. I'm the founder and president of Sermon View Evangelism Marketing. At Sermon View, we have a passion for ministry and we're nerds for marketing. We believe that church exists for those who are not yet part of it. So our passion is helping churches like yours Reach people in your community who are ready to connect with you. We do that by helping you advertise your evangelistic events and by finding people in your community ready to study the Bible with you. And we can also help uh, turn your church website into an evangelistic engine. Over the last 18 years, we've handled over 6,000 campaigns for over 2,500 churches throughout the United States and Canada. Now, in this presentation, I talk about how to turn your church website into an evangelistic engine. I share some reasons why that's important and reveal some key things that every church website needs to be effective as an outreach site. I also report on some brand new research I had just completed about church websites as part of my PhD program, and I wrap it up by talking about Google advertising, which is a great way to make sure that your church website gets seen by people in your community. It's a topic that I'm very passionate about, and I'm delighted to share this presentation here on the Propel podcast. Before we get to the presentation, though, I'd like to mention the sponsor of this episode, The Hope of Survivors. For over two decades, The Hope of Survivors has offered support services to victims of clergy sexual abuse. It's a 501c3 nonprofit with North American Adventist roots, which now supports victims around the world across numerous denominations. Requests come into a 24-hour system and are lovingly handled by confidential peer connections. Something that I noticed at the Propel conference was the way a lot of attendees engaged with representatives from the organization. Some were hesitant to even admit that there was a problem, but others opened up with stories of loved ones dealing with this trauma. And we're really grateful that they took the time to come to the Propel Conference, and we appreciate their support. You can learn more at thehopeofsurvivors.org. Okay, let's get on to the presentation in this episode. Here's my breakout session at the 2023 Propel Conference on Effective Church Websites. So last year, my daughter and I visited a college in Tennessee. She is now a high school senior, and she's a worship leader in our church. She was actually the one that led um, Goodness of God this morning uh, at, um, during the, the, the worship time. I'm so proud of her. Um, she's a worship leader at our church, and she also leads worship uh, sometimes at uh, another church in the area, Sunday Church. So we like to get out and visit other churches whenever we can. We, we um, have been part of Oasis for decades. Um, 
And so whenever we can, we like to get out and experience other church cultures. On this trip, we were going to be there over the weekend. So I decided that I would pick a church to attend on Sabbath morning, and then she would pick a church to attend on Sunday morning. So we'd be able to spend in one weekend, be able to hit two different churches uh, just to experience this. So, And um, I wanted to experience church at a, uh, at a regional church. I wanted uh, the worship experience of a, of a black church. Uh, Zoe wanted to go someplace with a good contemporary worship band. So tell me, what's the first thing that we did? Went to their website. Went to the website. We, we Googled uh, churches in that area. And as we were searching online, I had this aha moment. We've had a church home for many years, and I haven't gone searching for a church to visit in a really long time. And I had one shot to find the church with the experience that I was looking for. And the primary means to do this was Google searches, which led to church websites. So as I looked at various church websites, I found that very few of them were actually talking to me as a potential guest. I I needed to know the basics, of course. I needed to know the time of the service, the location. Um, At that time, we were still in a COVID-19 wave, so I wanted to know what the masking policy was. Um, But I needed more than that. I was looking for a specific type of worship experience, and I had one shot. It's not like I moved into the area and I could spend six months going from church to church to church. I had one shot to find the experience that I was looking for. So I wanted to see a photo of the worship service. I also wanted to, to know how to dress to fit in with that, with that culture. Um, so I wanted to see people in the congregation, not just the worship team. And I, and I wanted to see photos. And in the end, on Sabbath, we visited a church called the Orchard Park Adventist Church in Chattanooga. Now, I'm comfortable in church. I, I grew up in church. I'm comfortable in this environment. But I have to admit, it's still intimidating to walk through the doors of a new church for the first time. So getting to know that church a little bit better through their website helped me be a little bit more confident as I walked through those doors. Same thing for my daughter. Both churches that we visited clearly communicated the church culture through the design, the content, the visuals of the website. Again, we had one chance to find the church experience that we wanted, and that website was the primary way that we had to get to know churches in the area. So today we're talking about church websites. New research found that 59% of church guests visit the website first. But here's the more important stat. 36%, that's more than one out of three, decided not to attend a particular church because of what they found or what they didn't find on their church website. And this 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 is research that Sermon View just did. Again, we haven't published it yet. We haven't finished the write up, but this is based on a national survey. 59% and 36%. So your church website is really important to attracting and retaining your guests. And that was my experience as well. The church that we went to, we actually drove past eight other Adventist churches to get to the one that we decided to go to because I knew, based on their website, that I was going to have the experience that I was looking for. And the other churches that were closer to where we were staying, I didn't know. So before I get into the tactics of what an effective church website looks like, I want to talk about strategy for a moment. I want to to, um, talk about really the what. So to understand what needs to go into an effective outreach website, I want to explore the psychology of church guests. God created humans with the innate need for connection. 
We have a need to belong to community. And one fundamental reason why people come to a church event is whether it's a worship service or a Bible study or a community event is because they're seeking to fulfill this fundamental need to belong. They want to be part of community. We are social creatures. And although church, of course, has a theological component with a vertical component, relationship with God and the theology, fundamentally church is a social experience. You can't have church without more than one of you. And as soon as there's more than one of you, you have church. You also have this horizontal, the, the social dynamics of a church. And um, part, of, part of our job in evangelism is to foster those social connections, to help people plug into the social network of a congregation. Uh, I talk in, in my circle of friends at my church, we talk about having... Um, social relationship nodes where people are connected to each other. Dennis and I are connected to each other. We're both connected to some other people. And a human only has the capacity um, to have a certain number of, of close friendships. One of the problems with longtime church members is that all of those close friendship nodes are occupied by other church members. And a new person coming in doesn't have a place for them to plug in. And you have to be intentional about opening up your social opportunity, your social nodes, to be able to plug somebody in. And in order to do that, it means that some of your close friends will become a little bit less close. I have a long-time relationship with Rob and Peggy. But they're, and we were in a, in a small group for a while. Um, but we're no longer close friends because as the church has shifted, as we've grown, we both intentionally, my wife and I and the two of them, intentionally um, created space for new relationships. Okay, so uh, that's got nothing to do with church websites. This is a bonus. Okay, uh, the whole so idea of evangelism has to take into account the fact that church is fundamentally a social experience. And you need to be able to build social relationships with your guests. You need, guests, you need to give guests an opportunity to connect with current members. Okay, so... Part of our job in evangelism is to foster these social connections to help people plug into the social network of the congregation. However, humans are really uncomfortable with uncertainty. And when people think about walking through the doors of a strange church filled with people that they don't know, this can cause anxiety. And today, social anxiety is actually one of the chronic mental health challenges of this age. So we need to be doing whatever we can to lower the anxiety of our guests. And the framework I want to talk about uh, is called uncertainty reduction theory. Um, part of this anxiety is the uncertainty of how a social interaction will play out. A guest is going to wonder, if I don't wear a tie, will people treat me differently? Or if I do wear a tie... But nobody else is. Are they going to treat me differently? Will people be talking in King James English? Or are they going to be using a strange vocabulary that I don't understand? Will I be criticized because my clothes smell like cigarette smoke? Will I get cornered by somebody trying to save me or telling me that I'm not saved? Okay, in a social setting, people are constantly assessing the environment and predicting how a conversation will flow because uncertainty is uncomfortable. Uncertainty is uncomfortable. Uncertainty reduction theory tells us that there are several things that people do to reduce uncertainty. When you meet someone for the first time, there's certain cultural rituals that we go through. Um, and a big reason for that ritual is to reduce uncertainty. When you shake somebody's hand, when you say hello, that is signaling to each other, yeah, I'm a normal human being. 
um, because there's some people that don't do that. And now it's like, I don't know how this, how this uh, interaction is going to go. And that raises um, anxiety for some people. So the whole social conventions are so important. When you look them in the eye, you say, nice to meet you. I'm reducing their uncertainty for how our interaction is going to go. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this theory. There's actually four ways that people reduce uncertainty. The first one is when you're first meeting someone, there's these cultural rituals that you go through. Another one, though, that's important when it comes to church websites, online research is another strategy that people use to reduce uncertainty. The primary purpose of your website, listen to this, the primary purpose of your website is to reduce your guests' uncertainty. So we talked about cultural uh, rituals and uh, online research. The primary purpose of your church website is for your guests, to help them reduce their uncertainty. That means that the pictures on the website should show people in the church environment. That allows the guests to pick up visual clues about the environment, about the culture. What are people wearing? How are they interacting? The language on the site should reflect the culture of the church. If you're a conservative church that uses the King James Version in your service, your website should reflect that. If you put a Bible verse on there, and King James is the the version that you use, uh, then use the King James Version there. If you're a contemporary church and you use something like the New Living Translation, you need to make sure that you put that on the website because you're signaling to someone the type of culture that you have. The website should be an authentic, uh, should be an authentic expression of the experience that guests are going to have. Um, if you're a church with a contemporary worship service, having a picture of the worship band will help show the, the culture. So l- let me be clear. Your church is communicating to your guests. And your church website is communicating to your guests. It says something about who you are and what you're about. And a lot of church websites are simply saying, we only care about our members because the site is filled with bulletin announcements and insider speak. Or it doesn't have anything specific to say about the local church, just a little something about Seventh-day Adventists in general. Or it's a website from 20 years ago. What does your website communicate to guests uh, who visit that website? Does it make them feel valued? Does it do anything to reduce their uncertainty? Reducing the uncertainty of your guests is the primary, not a, the primary purpose of your church website. They should get a feel from your website of what they can expect to experience when they walk through the doors of your church. Okay, enough theory. Let's talk about um, what goes into an effective church website. Whenever you're creating a communication piece, you want to think about who the audience is. Neil Gordon wrote this. Effective communication preferences the recipient over the sender. Effective communication preferences the recipient over the sender. So you need to think about who is your recipient for your church website and what is it that they need. Okay, so there are three primary audiences for your church website. Three audiences that you need to consider. All three groups have unique needs. They share some needs, but these are three different groups. All right? The first one is guests. So let's talk about guests first. Guests are looking for answers to some basic questions. When do you meet? Where do you meet? How should I dress? What can I expect when I get there? How can I reach someone if I have a question? These are basic questions that guests have. 
When do you meet? Where do you meet? How should I dress? What can I expect when I get there? And how can I reach someone if I have a question? So for guests, as we've been talking about, your primary objective is reducing uncertainty. Communicate who you are to help them decide if your church might be a good fit for their spiritual needs. Then give them a feel for what they can expect to help lower the anxiety of people walking through the doors of a strange place. Again, I believe that church is meant for those who are not yet part of it. So your website should speak to your guests first. First. Now, that's, that's, not, that's not the only people that it should talk to. All right, let's talk about your members. Most member questions have to do with upcoming events and activities. Members know where you meet. They know what time you meet. But what they don't know is that thing. There, there was that thing. I, what was it and when is it? Okay. So, the, I mean, literally, this is the kind of the questions that I have as a member at my church. I'm, they said something about something. What was that thing that's coming up? What was that thing? Uh, because you know that your members are not actually listening to the announcements, right, at, at church. Uh, the, the only people that read the bulletin are your guests. The only people that listen to announcements are your guests because your members are off doing something else, right? So, but then they'll be like, oh, I heard something about it. What was that thing that's coming up? What was that? Um, when is that thing? And wh- where is that thing happening? So they are looking for information about unusual events, so you have a game night at the church. What was that thing? We have like a some social something coming up. What, what was that? Oh, it's a game night. Oh, yeah, it's at church, 7 o'clock on Saturday night. Okay. Um, so making sure that that, that information is available to members. Some other questions that people might have as members are, what are some ministries that I can get involved in? Who do I contact to get involved? Um, members might be asking, how do I give tithes and offerings online? Or how do I give tithes and offerings in general? Um, I don't know that I mentioned this, because this is, this, I think that this is a new discovery since I put this presentation together the first time. Um, when, it, when it comes to giving on your, on your website, you should have a link for giving, and it should take you to a page, because there are three ways that somebody can give in your church, in most churches, three ways. One is you can put it in the offering plate, uh, you can mail a check, or you can use Adventist giving and give online. And uh, I discovered at my church that I can't use Adventist giving to pay for like the women's retreat that my wife is going to. So I have to mail a check. And my, my church website didn't have the mailing address for, for, for sending uh, a, a, a donation, or in this case, paying for something. And why didn't I just put it in the offering plate or give it to the treasurer? Because on Sabbath morning, we're thinking about other things. Literally, we went four weeks in a row. It's like, oh, I forgot the check again. Oh, forget. Let's just mail the thing. Oh, wait, I don't even know what the address is, and it's not on the website. So you want to talk about, if someone wants to give you money, you want to tell them how, how they can do it in whatever ways that's convenient for them. Okay, and then also, can I submit prayer requests or praises online? So that's, your members are the second uh, audience that you need to be talking to, that your, that your church website needs to be talking to. And then the last group is your, is your um, group of leaders at the church. And, and what's the primary question that church leaders ask? It's, who is doing what? Who, who's the platform elder this Sabbath? Uh, who's 
who's leading the youth class this Sabbath? Who is, right, it's, who's doing what? Because you need a central place for that, and a church website can be a place for that. And then another question that they have, what was that decision that we made about that thing? I remember we talked about something in the board meeting. What was it that we talked about? What was that thing? And what was that decision? that? What, what did we decide to do? Uh, and then another question that leaders have is, how are we doing financially? So for several, for several years, my church's website had a private login area with documents, and we had board minutes, we had financial statements, we had the nominating committee report, uh, we had the church directory, all behind a protected uh, login. And as a leader, I found that incredibly helpful. Um, so a church website can speak to all three audiences, but you have to be really careful about how you do it. So I want to show you a couple of, of examples of websites that I think balance this pretty well. The first one is a demo website. We're going to go to prairie.church. Prairie Prairie.church. And this is a demo site. This is a fake website. Prairie Church does not exist. My church, Oasis, has for 25 years rented from another church. We don't have our own building. And for a while... Uh, we rented from a place called Prairie Community Church. It was not an avid, a Prairie Community Church. And then they got swallowed up by another mega church and things went sideways and it was really bad. So we have memorialized Prairie Community Church through our, our, our demo. So let me show you. Let's, uh, i got to share my screen. So here we've got Prairie Avenue Community Church. And very first thing, there's a picture of people from church. And it says who we are. First of all, welcome. Welcome to Prairie. You're speaking to your guests. We, have a, we are a community of faith that loves God, cares for each other, and brings light to, work, to the world. So this is a simple statement. This is who we are. And then a great big button. I'm new here. And we'll come back to this. And then there's also a button or a, a link in the navigation. Start here. And then there's also about us. So these are the three most prominent links on the, at the top of the fold, what we call the top of the fold. These are all for guests. All right, let's just keep scrolling down. We've got a list of upcoming events. And then we've got a little more about our community of faith. It goes into a little bit more detail and our five values that we have. With a link to take you to an about page entirely. There's meet the team and what we believe right there on the homepage. And then nurture your faith. Talks about growing in your spiritual journey. Uh, and Bible study groups, opportunities to serve are two ways to nurture your faith. And then in church life, we uh, highlight four different ministries here. We've got Bible study, where we talk about uh, Bible study classes on Saturday morning. Okay, again, I'm, I'm not, I don't say we have several Sabbath school classes on Sabbath morning, because what is Sabbath school and what is Sabbath? Um, we have several Bible study classes every Saturday morning, as well as others throughout the week. Uh, and you can click to find out more. We've, we talk about seeking to be the hands and feet of Jesus by serving those in our community with community service. We've got children's ministry and we've got worship. Lots of pictures throughout this because we want to be showcasing what you, this church actually looks like. So, so people will get a good feel for what does this church look like. Then we have a thing here. This is more for um, members, but also for guests, prayer and praise. Uh, so you can request prayer. You can submit a praise. Then we've got featured media, a section here to talk about or to, to share. Um, we have a section featured media to be able to, to share 
um, archived videos of the worship service or other videos. Then how to support Prairie. You can, you can offer, um, say, I'm praying for you. You can offer words of encouragement and then give now. And then down at the bottom, we have this, the, same, the same footer uh, on every page. We've got a, a map. We've got uh, gatherings, like this is when we get together as a church. Here's the address. You can click a link to get directions. Plan your visit takes you to the page I'm about to show you. I, and it's the same link as plan your visit down here, uh, and it's the same link as I'm new here and start here. Uh, and then down at the very bottom, again, the address, uh, we've got a give now button, plan your visit, and then some other links in here. And we have down at the bottom, please note, Prairie Avenue Community Church is not a real church. This is a demonstration site for some of you evangelism websites. Learn more at evangelism. Okay, so uh, three, four weeks ago, I get um, a text from the communication director of the Oregon Conference, and and they're like, um, so funny story. One of the administrators ran across this website somehow, and and like there's this text thread that blew up. It's like, have you heard of Prairie? How come we haven't heard of Prairie? It says that they started in 1992. How have we not heard about Prairie? <laughs> and then and then this guy was like like took a screenshot of this and circled it and said um, this. And, and then I saw every one of the people on the thread over the next week, they're like, yeah, as soon as we saw that, it's like, oh, it's Larry. Of course it's Larry. Uh, great. Uh, powered by Sermon View Evangelism websites. All right. So let's go to start here, or I'm, let's go to I'm new here. So this is a page specifically for guests. And I'm, I'm going to read some of the copy here because it's different than what you will find in a lot of uh, Adventist websites. Um, make yourself at home here. Uh, uh, make yourself at home here at Prairie. Welcome to Prairie. Again, this same phrase: We are a community of faith that loves God, cares for each other, and brings light to the world. And we would love to have you join us for Bible study, worship, or any other community gathering. And then, what to expect visiting on a Saturday morning? We invite you to join us for Bible study and worship any Saturday morning. Don't feel like you need to dress up. Just wear whatever's most comfortable for you. Now, this is, you know, our fake demo church. This is the culture of that. That's also the culture of my church, Oasis. But if that's not the case, you could say, we'd love for you to join us uh, for Bible study and worship on any Saturday, Saturday morning. We believe that, um, that coming to worship, you want to bring your best. And so we wear nicer clothes on on. Uh, Saturday morning when we come to church. So you want to be authentic to who you are. You want to speak to who you are. Uh, and then we then um, my team wrote this. When you arrive at church on a Saturday morning, you might be greeted with a hearty happy Sabbath. That's a traditional Seventh-day Adventist greeting expressing our appreciation for your presence and our gratitude for the Sabbath rest that this day contains. Okay, what you just did with this statement is you established credibility... First of all, you set expectations, you reduce uncertainty. Okay, they might say happy Sabbath. And, and like, like I, I'm, if I'm new, I might be, hey, wife, look at this. This happy Sabbath. Have you, have you ever heard happy Sabbath before? No, I've never heard happy Sabbath. That's interesting. This is like a traditional Adventist greeting. Uh, when we go on Sabbath, let's see what happens. Or on Saturday, let's see what happens. And then when, some, when you walk through the door and somebody says to them, happy Sabbath, they're like, yeah, yeah. This, uh, we know what that is. That's a traditional Adventist greeting. It means that they're happy to see us and they're happy to have Sabbath rest. 
So by talking about what to expect when you're visiting on a Saturday morning, it helps lower the anxiety of, of somebody and helps them feel uh, like they know what they're walking into. Okay, uh, 9.30 a.m., and then I, we say Sabbath school here, and then immediately explain what that is. Our Bible study time on Saturday morning begins at 9.30, and it's called Sabbath school. If you have a child, ask a greeter where the appropriate children's class is meeting. Once you've dropped off your child, you can join the adults who gather for a few minutes in the sanctuary prior to breaking into Bible study groups. You can join any class you wish, but if it's your first time, we recommend remaining in the sanctuary for the, for the Sabbath school class that's there. And then this, most of our adult Sabbath school classes use a 13-week study guide published four times a year called the Sabbath School Quarterly. If somebody's never been to an Adventist church... It's like, oh, you got your quarterly? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? So we're explaining, hey, there's this thing called a quarterly. It's just a, it's just a Bible study guide that we use. It comes out four times a year. If you don't have your own copy of the quarterly, please tell the greeter or Sabbath school teacher, and we will get you a complimentary copy. Sabbath school ends at 1045 with a short break prior to the worship service at 11. This is the time to go pick up your child and make your way back to the sanctuary. We've got a picture here of somebody leading a Sabbath school class in this church. And then worship service. At our worship service, we sing, pray, and hear God's word. Our music is typically hymns and praise courses accompanied by organ or piano. The sermon typically lasts 25 to 30 minutes, and we wrap up by 12, 15 p.m. All right? You want to be authentic to who you are. So if you don't have an organ, it's accompanied by a piano. Maybe you sing a cappella. Maybe you have a worship band. Uh, you want to explain it in words and then show a picture so that they can get a feel for what, what it's going to be like. Um, and then if you'd like to connect with someone for prayer or conversation, okay, this is, this is really important. It took me a while to learn this as, as I was trying to find a church when I was a young adult. If you'd like to connect with someone for prayer or conversation, stick around after the service. If you just stay seated as everyone leaves, one of our leaders will come meet you. We'd love an opportunity to get to know you a little better. And I tell people, if they're having a hard time connecting in a church, just stay seated when everybody else is leading, uh, leaving, and eventually somebody's going to come around and start talking to you. Because as leaders, we're really busy. We're putting away, you know, AV equipment, and, and we're, we're putting away the, the Bibles and fixing things. And so we're really busy, and, and maybe, we, maybe we should be setting that aside and not doing that and greeting our guests initially. That's probably the better thing to do. But if somebody's just sitting there, eventually someone's going to come up to them and go, Hey, I'm Larry. And then begin the conversation by telling them, hey, just stay seated. Someone's going to come talk to you. Uh, it's, just, it's just a signal. Hey, I'd like to talk to somebody. Okay. Um, and then next events. Can't make it on a Saturday morning. Look for the other opportunities to connect with fellow believers. Join us at any of these upcoming events. And then this statement that kind of wraps it all up. Welcome home. Prairie Adventist Community Church is a family of believers. Again, this, this statement, who want to go deeper in faith. We believe that we're stronger together. So we join together every week to hear the word of God, to worship him, and to encourage each other. And we leave empowered to share the good news that his spirit can change us for good. If you want to find freedom, healing, and hope in Jesus, this is the place for you. Welcome to Prairie. I get chills every time I read that. Because it is, this is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Um, that that people feel welcomed, people feel at home. Uh, welcome to Prairie. And then we're back down to our footer with the gatherings, the map, and then the links. Okay, so 
that's, that's a page. It, there's a lot of intentionality that we put into crafting this particular page, looking at what, what people are needing on a church website as a guest. But this is a page just for guests. There's nothing on here for anybody but guests. All right? But then there are other pages here. We've got an about page uh, that talks more about prairie and you know our, 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 our five purposes. Uh, and then a little bit more about the background of prayer. We talk about our beliefs. Uh, we kind of have a summary here, but then we also have a link to the 28 fundamental beliefs. Uh, this will just take you to Adventist.org. Um, and then our team getting to know Prairie. We've got Dr. Harold Blackman and other... These are all fake names. Uh, if you've worked with Sermon View, you, you may have seen uh, Harold Blackman in his photo. He's our... He's our nice pretend pastor that always seems to be. He does so much. Uh, if you look at our pre-registration website, the demo site, it's Harold Bleckman again. Uh, and if you actually, if you search for, for Harold Bleckman with this spelling, the only things that will come up are Sermon View demo sites. Uh, so that person doesn't even exist on earth, or at least online. Okay. Um, that's the About page. we got an Events page that... That goes into more detail about upcoming events. We've got a ministries page that talks about um, different ministries that are available. You can learn more about each of these ministries. Uh, we've got sermons. So here's the sermon archive. We have a, uh, a video that is kind of the featured one uh, with Latin text uh, and more Latin text. Uh, but you get the idea. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a video archive. And then giving. Uh, this particular link just takes you to Adventist Giving. This is something that, again, it's fairly new discovery. We're working on updating this, this, um, this template, kind of this, this demo site to show how giving can be done best. And then somebody was testing something here. Um, all right. So that, that's, that's, the, that's a demo website. Let me show you what it looks like. When we actually apply it to SharonSDA.net. We created this website and then we handed the keys over to the church. So same thing, you know, picture of smiling faces, people from the Sharon Church. This is one of the regional churches in the Oregon Conference. You know, we've tailored it specifically to them, what, what they do, uh, supporting Sharon. Um, so it looks similar, but it's tailored to them. If I go to I'm new here, we've got some pictures talking about Sabbath school. Uh, when you arrive, one of our greeters would love to help you find a class. So that's language that they put on their, uh, on their website. Their worship service starts at 12 noon. Um, and then next events. Okay, so this is an example. All right. So those are, those are some demo websites that meet all the notes that we're talking about. Okay, so I'm working on a PhD right now because I don't have enough to do. Uh, in my current class that I'm, that I'm taking right now, I looked at the website for every one of the 116 English churches in the Oregon Conference. So the Oregon Conference has 160 churches, uh, companies, and groups. Uh, and about 30 of them are non-English. Uh, and then when you take out the companies and groups, we're left with 116 English churches in Western Oregon and Southwest Washington. I looked through them and identified seven characteristics on these websites 
that appear to, to reduce uncertainty or communicate something about the church to guests. So these are characteristics of guest-oriented websites. First, the service times are listed on the homepage. Second, the address is on the homepage. Third, there's a map on the homepage. And it was interesting to me as I was going through these websites, there were some websites that had this information, but I had to look for it. And I'm like, if, if I'm intentionally seeking this out and I'm having to, and sometimes it's like, it was not obvious which page this was going to be on. It's like, no, to make it easier for your guests, these, th- these three things all need to be on the homepage, uh, someplace prominent on the homepage. The fourth one is mobile-friendly design. So if you load it up on a, on a uh, mobile device, you can, you can see the information easily. And I was surprised at how many of these websites were not mo- mobile-friendly um, using what we call responsive design. And then the last three here, there's a page specifically for guests, but not just that. There's a highly visible link on the homepage to take people to this page specifically for guests. Number six, there's a worship service video archive. Why is that important? Because if I can watch a worship service, then I get a really good feel for what your worship service is like. So this is all, this is reducing uncertainty. So if they can watch it online, why would they want to come to the church if they can just watch it online? Because church is fundamentally a social experience and I'm coming to church because I'm looking to meet the need to connect, the, 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 the need that that God placed in us. Um, so showing it, having the videos online so people can see it is uh, one characteristic. And then um, the last one is that it's a personalized website. So every church in North America has a website um, through Adventist Church Connect. About half of those are just default websites that the division has put up for you. And it pulls information from eAdventist. So it's got your address. It's got your worship service times. It's got the name of the pastor sometimes. And that's it. Um, and that's good. But it really doesn't hit all the notes of uncertainty reduction. And so it needs to be a personalized website. Okay. And then I looked at the total number of baptisms and professions of faith for each of these 116 churches over the last five years. So what? So this includes some COVID years, but it goes back to 2018. 2018, 19, 20, 21, and 22. Um, And I found that three of these characteristics had a high correlation with more baptisms and professions of faith. And it's these last three. There's a page specifically for guests with a highly visible link on the homepage. There's a worship service video archive, and there's a personalized website, not, um, not the default ACC website. So these are the three characteristics. And here's the thing. Churches that had websites that had two or three of these characteristics grew 45% faster than churches with zero or one of these characteristics. So this takes into account how many baptisms and professions of faith and actually takes into account how large the church was to begin with. And church websites, churches that had websites with two or three of these characteristics grew 45% faster than churches with zero or one. And if you look at the raw accession numbers, so accessions being baptisms and professions of faith, if you look at raw accession numbers, 
churches with websites with all three of these characteristics had six times the number of baptisms and professions of faith than those websites that had none of these three characteristics. Now, does that mean that this is silver bullet? Hey, just go do these three things. You're going to get six times as many baptisms as you used to have. No. But what it means is that there's something about the culture of this congregation that is focused on reaching those who are not yet part of this church and that that mentality, that, that culture, that perspective has bled over into the church website because your church website is so important. So churches that are thinking this way, it impacted their website. And the statistics show um, six times as many baptisms for churches that had all three of these characteristics. Okay. Uh, next, I want to talk about roles in building a website. I just want to talk briefly about what's required to actually create a website. And this is true for any website at all, not just church websites, but it's also true for church websites. There are four different roles that, that each must contribute to constructing an effective website. Um, I mentioned to some of you, the first website that I built was 29 years ago for La Sierra University. I've worked on literally hundreds of websites over the last 29 years. Um, at some point, I hit 200. I was like counting them, and I'm I'm like not even close to done. I'm like, we'll just call it hundreds because I hit 200, and and I, I I'm addicted to building websites. Like every quarter, I'm like, oh, I I want to build a website for this, uh, and and now we just do it a lot. Um, okay, so I've worked on a bunch of websites. What I found that for a website to have maximum effectiveness, all four of these roles must contribute to the end product. Okay, here's the first rule. Vision. Someone needs to articulate what the website is trying to accomplish and then passionately drive that vision forward. So someone needs to have the vision. Know what you're trying to do and then passionately drive that vision forward. The second one is technical skill. Someone needs to be able to handle setting up a hosting service and building the technical framework for the website. The third skill that's required is communication skill. Someone needs to be able to write the copy on the website in a way that communicates to your audience. And then the fourth one, and this is the last one, this is the the picture you want to take. The fourth is user experience or design. And this has to do with site navigation and buttons and the photos and the design elements that are used. So these are the four roles, in my experience, These are the four four roles uh, in building a website. Most people can contribute to one of these roles, at least one of these roles, sometimes two. So there are some people that that can can get a vision for a website should do and then drive it forward. There are some people that are really good at the technical skills. There are some people that are good at the communication skill. Some people are good at user experience. And it's interesting, back in the old days, 20 years ago, a lot of the church websites um, were built by someone with technical skill, but they didn't have a vision for the purpose, and they didn't have communication skills, and they didn't understand user experience. So it was like this really geeky website. Um, There are some people that are really good at user experience, but they can't write copy to save their life. So it's this beautiful website that's got lovely navigation, but it doesn't really say anything. So most people can contribute to one Sometimes two roles. There are a few really gifted people in the world that are capable of filling all four roles. However, each of these roles uses a different part of the brain. 
And transitioning between each role has a really high switching cost. And because of this, one person cannot fill all four of these roles concurrently. Mm. All right? And it's, it's just not possible. I've tried. <laughs> all right? The only way it works to do it is to spread it out over several, literally several weeks where you're working on one role at a time, giving recovery space before working on a different role. Um, but the Propel website, as an example, the Propel website, I was the visioner for it. So I knew what, what it needed to accomplish. And Cato handled the user experience. Um, Lucy handled the technical skill, setting up the hosting service. And then Lori and I worked on the, the communication. So I, I, did, I was a visioner, and I helped with the communication. But someone else did user experience. Somebody else handled the technical skill. So, I mean, that's, that's how we do things at CermiView. We have the staff to be able to handle all four of these roles concurrently. And it's interesting. Sometimes I'll be the one with the technical skill, and someone else will be the visioner. And it works just fine because I can get in there. I can do it. But don't ask me to do both at the same time because my brain's not wide enough to be able to do that. Okay. Um, so the best websites are created by a team whose members fill just one of these roles each, and that's how we do it here at CERNReview when we work on websites. Why is this important? You'll see in, in a little bit uh, why I wanted to share this. Okay, next I want to talk about Google Ads. So you've got, let's just say you've got a relevant, up-to-date website that speaks to guests. That's nice. But how do you find potential visitors to actually find your website? How do you do that? Google. Okay? And there are two ways that your website can, can appear in Google results. One is called an organic listing or um, search engine optimization in order to appear in organic listings. And the other one is paid advertising. Well, there, and there's three. There's also map listings as well, although that's also considered organic listings. So there's these three, organic listings, map listings, and then paid advertising. SEM is search engine marketing. All right, so I want to talk about organic listings first. Google builds its database of web pages by going out onto the internet and looking at every page that it can find. Uh, once a page is in its database, it checks back every few months, sometimes every few weeks, sometimes every few days, sometimes very, every few hours, depending. Like a news website, it's checking like multiple times a day. But for most websites, it checks back every few months to look for any changes. Um, for a typical church website, it updates every few months. It looks at the content of each page and it puts it into a database. And then it uses a proprietary algorithm, which Google's constantly changing. It decides which websites to display for any given search, and it, display, it decides what order to display them in. It considers your location, it considers other websites that you've visited, it considers your recent searches to try to ascertain what you're actually looking for. And then it gives you a list of websites that it thinks are going to be most relevant to you. It's really amazing technology because it happens really, really fast. Now, there are things that a website owner can do um, to make your website more friendly on search engines. And this is called search engine optimization or SEO. How many of you have, of you have heard of SEO? Okay. All right. And there are companies that you can hire to help you optimize your website um, using keywords. They use meta tags. They use a bunch of different tricks. But it can take years for SEO work to make a difference. And even then, it's fragile because um, Google's constantly, constantly changing their, their algorithm. We had websites 
a few years ago that were that had a number one or number two rank on a specific uh, keyword search suddenly dropped down to page three or page four because their algorithm changed. Uh, and so we had optimized it and then it broke. Um, and they changed their algorithm. They're constantly evolving it and every six months to two years they do a major update of their algorithm and it, it can, yeah, it can hurt you if you're relying on SEO. If you can do SEO, that's great. It takes a lot of effort and it takes ongoing attention to be successful. And there are companies that you can hire to handle SEO for you. We're seeing low-end SEO services that are costing like um, $250 a month. That's $3,000 a year going up much, much higher than that. They're expensive and none of them will guarantee results. Um, so when we build a website, we think about SEO and we make sure that the content is SEO friendly, that it's search engine friendly, but we don't do active ongoing search engine optimization ourselves and we don't recommend that churches put effort into it. The payoff just isn't worth it for a church website. Uh, you wanna think about it, but you don't wanna be putting all your eggs in that basket. So the other one is paid advertising. So we just talked about organic listings and the way that, the way that um, there's something called spiders that, that Google uses. It's, it's, a, it's a web crawler because it's, it's the World Wide Web, so they use a spider to crawl along all the different pieces of the... Uh, and it looks at every website, and it follows every link that it can. And the way that that all works, it's really, really interesting stuff, and we're not going to talk about it because I could talk for an hour about the way that search works. It's so interesting. Uh, so let's talk about paid advertising. If SEO is not consistently effective, what can you do? That's where Google advertising com comes in. So with Google ads, you can bid for placement at the top of a particular search, and you decide which keywords and phrases should trigger your ad, and you can re restrict it geographically. Uh, you have full control over what that ad says, almost full control. The, Google could say, yeah, you're not allowed to do this particular if you said um, cancer cure, free cancer cure, click here, they're going to they're gonna flag that. There's things that you can't do. But you have almost complete control. Um, and because your searches related to your church are fairly specific and they're infrequent, this can be a really cost-effective way to get seen. So here are some keywords that you should consider uh, when you uh, advertise. Uh, you want to use your church name. So... Uh, if, if we were doing uh, Adventist Community Church here, I would do Adventist Community Church of Vancouver. I would do Vancouver Adventist Church. I'd do Vancouver Adventist Community Church. All the different iterations of that. And I would bid on those. And nobody else is going to be bidding on them. Unless you said, actually, Vancouver Adventist Church. There may be other churches in Vancouver. There's like four other churches in Vancouver area. They might be bidding on them as well. As well. Um, but, like, nobody's going to be bidding on Adventist Community Church of Vancouver. Uh, so, and then you also want to use keywords like Adventist Church near me or Adventist Church in your city name. Uh, you, I would just bid on church near me and geographically restrict it. So only people within, you know, a 10-mile radius of your church or 15 or 20-mile radius of your church. Someone searches for church near me. How about Sabbath Church near me or... or, or or Sabbath school near me, or Bible study near me. All right, so these are all some, that, that's this slide. Those are all some obvious keywords uh, that we would recommend. Then you should also have articles on your website that are about specific Bible topics. 
uh, and then purchase advertising for relevant keywords that directs directly to these pages. So for example, you should have an article about the Sabbath that's on, on, your, uh, on your website. And then purchase a keyword, again, geographically restricted. So somebody types in Sabbath, then your ad pops up and it takes them directly to a page that talks about the Sabbath. And now they're on your church website and they'll see on the navigation, oh, new here. And then they'll click there and then they can learn more about you. So it's a way to pull people, people into your website. Um, some other keywords, what happens when you die or afterlife or life after death, those types of keywords uh, should, should direct to a page that talks about uh, the state of the dead. Now, you're not going to use the phrase state of the dead anywhere on there because nobody else knows what that means except for Adventists. You're going to say afterlife or what happens when you die, that type of thing, right? Uh, do one on the second coming. You should do one on Bible prophecy. You should do uh, something on end time events. Maybe healthy living or um, body the temple of God. If you have content, that's this slide. If you have content um, for these topics, then you want to advertise for these keywords that take you to those pages specifically for each topic. All right, something else. You can also purchase advertising on Google Maps so that when someone searches on maps, your listing comes up first. Um, I just saw that one out of eight Google searches are actually directly in Google Maps on a, on a mobile device. One out of eight, 12 and a half percent. There's things that you can do to tell Google, hey, I'm, I'm the one in charge of this listing for this church. And then you can put some additional information in uh, and you can claim it for your church. Google Maps knows about every business everywhere are all over the world. They, they just know everything. But you can do things to tailor what the messaging is on that listing. So if I were in Vancouver and I searched on Google Maps for Adventist Church, then it'll show the, the dot on the map for this location. And if I click on it, I can control what displays to a certain extent. I can control what actually displays there. And you can purchase advertising on Google Maps so that you are guaranteed to be at the top. So if somebody typed in church in your geographically restricted area, you could conceivably, conceivably be at the top. If you were to hire a Google ad agency, you'd be paying similar rates as SEO. It's a lot of money. So does advertising make a difference? I want to tell you about my friend Laura. She grew up at Seventh-day Adventist, but she'd gotten disconnected um, from church, moving around as a young adult. And she moved here to Vancouver, and shortly after that move, she decided that she wanted to connect with a spiritual community. Now, she grew up Adventist. She wasn't necessarily looking for an Adventist church. She searched Bible study near me on Google, because what was she looking for? She was looking for spiritual, social connection. She has this innate need to belong, just like all of us, and she thought... A Bible study would allow me to build some relationships with people in my new town. So she searched for a Bible study near me. Now, it turns out that my church was running ads, and we showed up in her search results. And the crazy thing was that she wasn't even looking specifically for an Adventist church. Uh, she just wanted to find a Bible study. But there we were in the results, so she clicked through the website. One thing led to another. Today, she's fully engaged in the life of Oasis Church. She's serving on Sabbath morning tech team. She participates in the weekly Bible study group for young adults. Um, 
I just saw her last Sabbath. She was talking uh, after church, talking with a circle of young adults. She's one of the young adult leaders in our church. So does the church website make a difference? Yes. Yeah. Does advertising that website make a difference? Yeah. Laura literally found her church on Google. And today she's actively involved in my church. Last month, over 100,000 people searched on Google for the phrase, churches near me. Over 50% of church attendees say that a church's website is important in picking that church for a visit. Remember, 36% said that they've decided not to go to a church because of what they found or what they didn't find on a church website. So your website is the online welcome mat for the community, and it needs to speak to your guests. One of the things that we did at the Propel Conference was the practice of reflection. Stop for a moment and think about how what you just heard could be applied to your ministry. At the Propel Conference, we even offered some reflection questions for you to consider. What was the big idea for you? How will you apply this in your own ministry context? And when this episode finishes in a bit, I encourage you to pause for five or ten minutes and just let your mind wander. This reflection time can be really powerful. Okay, that's it for this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at propelconference.org. Special thanks to the Hope of Survivors for sponsoring this episode. This has been the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. The Propel Podcast is sponsored by the North Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. The event recording services were provided by Adventist Learning Community. The podcast is produced by the crew at Sermon View Evangelism Marketing. I'm Larry Witzel, wishing you God's richest blessing in your evangelistic journey. Please join us again next time for another episode of the Propel Podcast. Mm-hmm.